Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to An Amber A Day. I am here with Adrian, who runs Alma Acupuncture in San Antonio, Texas. Very excited because her and I always get along really well, have a lot to talk about, a lot of connections between the work that we do. Thank you so much for being here, Adrienne. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me on. Yes. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got started in your work. Okay. I'll give you the short version. Okay. (laughs) Um, In my kind of like mid 20s, I used to basically be a teacher, an elementary school teacher, and uh, I was suffering from pretty intense burnout and kind of like kind of in every kind of facet that you could think of. And I started having gynecological issues, some pretty intense ones, and wasn't really getting any answers from any physicians, gynecologists. Um, It was a really, really um, tough time for me. And Yeah. So I would go, I went to chiropractors. I got my blood test drawn repeatedly and I'd go back to the doctor and they're like, you're fine. Everything's fine. You're just tired. I'm like, sure. I am tired. You're right. And I'm also having some pretty rough periods. So can someone please help me? Um, So I didn't get a lot of support, unfortunately, at that time from Western medicine. Um, so someone just happened to give me an acupuncturist card. I had done acupuncture before a couple of years before that. And I was like, Hey, what do I have to lose at this point? I went to go see this acupuncturist and she really, truly helped me jump in, helped me kind of really begin that really the beginning of my healing path for, of all my gain issues at that time. But I didn't know at that time. <laughs> is that Jen Jen, um, my acupuncturist at the time, she was also the gynecology teacher at the school um, where I went to grad school. She like taught all of the specialty, women's health, gynecology, obstetrics stuff. And so she started as my acupuncturist and ended up being my professor. And I I still have formulas from her, herbal formulas that I use to this day. So I'm really so grateful that she helped me heal and then taught me basically the foundation or even more than foundation of basically how I practice every day here in the office. That's so cool actually. And that, you know, one thing that I really love about interviewing, you know, people that I admire on this podcast and everything is how there's such a common thread between us having our own health issues and it being kind of the inspiration for us starting our healing work. 
Um, it seems I don't think that I have met a true healer who hasn't had an experience like that. And there's just like so many parallels to my own journey with that, because I was in my mid twenties as well, when I kind of started to like actually pursue nutrition as a career. And I remember at that time, I, mean, I was so young, but I was thinking like, it's too late for me to start anything new. You know, I was working in foster care and adoptions, so can understand the, the burnout there. Um, so, wow, that's so interesting. So did you kind of, um, how long was it after you kind of started doing your, your healing work with her that you actually started pursuing it as a career? Um, probably about a year ish later. I, I, I was kind of at a crossroads, let's say, right. Mm -hmm. Four year burnout basically. Yeah. It was like yeah. turned into a statistic, a right? teacher, teacher statistic. Um, it, it, it would, I, I had to kind of process that, right. And grieve that loss of basically the career and the only career I had ever dreamed of. I mean, there's pictures of me as a child teaching my brothers. Like that was all I ever wanted to do is I wanted to work in education and teach. And I, I did that. And I, and I think I still do that to, to an extent. Does that make sense? Uh, you yeah. know, in my, my little squares on Instagram and my stories mm -hmm. that I try to share, you know? Um, so yeah, so I was at a crossroads. Um, I thought about midwifery. I was always really fascinated with that. I read, read a lot of books um, about midwifery and about women's health, but even during college, um, I, if I look back, I don't think I, I believe that I probably started my healing journey then because I actually read a couple of Chinese medicine books then that I didn't really make the connection and then kind of came around to it. It's really interesting. So basically what I'm saying is even in college, I was obsessed with my period. <laughs> okay. Uh <-huh>. Yeah. <laughs> even in college, while I was pursuing teaching education, I was actually obsessed with my period and what was going on in my own body. And so when I was 24, 25, I knew something wasn't okay. So it took a few more years for, unfortunately, for things to get more severe for me to actually be like, okay, but no one's listening. Who's going to help me and really finding and really seeking that support and help to help my body heal itself. And so, yeah, and so here absolutely. we are today. And so here I am today yeah. in San Antonio. Um, I'm a reproductive acupuncturist. So I basically I specialize in anything that has to do with reproductive health, that be irregular periods to PCOS, endometriosis, um, fertility, right? IVF, IUI, natural fertility, trying to conceive on their own, helping support sperm and follicle health. And you do an excellent job of that. I have several clients who see Adrian and they all have like, you know, raving reviews for her. She's fantastic. Uh, and yeah, really cool story. I just like, it's funny because it reminds me so much of like my own. And I absolutely still consider myself an educator. So when I was working in foster care and adoptions, that's what I was doing was teaching fo like new foster parents. I was helping them get their, their, credentials so that they could get licensed. And, um, you know, now I'm still teaching, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, conveying information to people that's going to help on their healing journey is a really, is really noble work. So I, I love the fact that you do, like you have your private practice. You also do really helpful information online. I think that's amazing. So one of the things 
that you shared online that just really piqued my interest was a little bit about the heart and uterus connection in Eastern medicine. And uh, to be totally frank and upfront with everybody, I don't have a background in Chinese medicine, but I find it incredibly fascinating. When I was in my <laughs> master's program, there was a um, there was an elective course that you could take on Chinese medicine just to kind of like give you an intro on it and everything. And I wanted to take it so bad, but nobody else signed up. So they oh, dropped no. the course. Yes. So I'm like, ah, oh. so I'm always fascinated by, you know, those who practice it, um, acupuncturists and all that, because it's, it's a completely uh, different way of looking at the body, but yet it's just so cool how they like the overlap is absolutely there. And it absolutely is just as effective as if not more so than Western medicine in a lot of ways. So tell us about the heart uterus connection and what is going on there. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Well, there's definitely a lot going on there. I think anyone that identifies female will totally resonate with it. I feel like you may not understand every single thing I'm going to be saying, but you're going to be like, that makes sense. And I know this because X, Y, and Z. Um, So the heart and kidney are really interesting. So let me just kind of give just like a tiny bit of information. So in East Asian medicine, we believe that each organ, and we see it's really kind of like an organ system, um, holds an emotion and helps us process it. Okay. So the heart is really interesting in that it is more about impatience. Okay. And it also about intense dislike. You could even use the strong word of hate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so kidney is all about grief and about fear. Okay. <laughs> so you can kind of already kind of made uh-huh. the slight <laughs> connection, connection. <laughs> right? And so these two, the heart and the kidney organ systems, they're connected through this bow my channel. And so the my channel, you know, it crosses from, you know, the heart to the uterus and you have to go through, cross the stomach. And so that's basically how it connects. And so, you know, the heart in East Asian medicine is actually affected more by these emotions, right? And the my has to be unblocked. Okay. If not, there's going to be all kinds of issues. Okay, because there, there's no connection, okay, with the kidneys. And of course, the kidneys are in our back, right? But you know, s- still, right? If there's no connection, like no processing of grief, no processing of having space to be impatient and moving through that, you're going to have menstrual issues. 
um, PMS, PMDD, um, even, you know, uh, skin issues and definitely fertility issues. So it'll be definitely hard, be difficult to conceive if there is a blockage. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, culturally, I think women or female identifying people are conditioned to uh, hold back their mm-hmm. strong, you know, more quote unquote, masculine emotions like anger um Mm -hmm. keep those things to themselves and then also like we're meant to be you know quiet and positive and everything you know gentle and all of this stuff and when you hold back all that are you like you know you're keeping all this stuff that you really want to let out in your body absolutely holds on to that I, I love the book um the body keeps the score yes too, as a, a good Absolutely. example of ways that we hold on to trauma in our body, like mm-hmm. physically in our body. I think Absolutely. a lot of people think that those two systems are so separate, like your emotions are separate from your physical body, but they're not. Spoiler <laughs> alert, they're not. Okay, so keep going. Tell us more. Um, so I, so uh, I'll kind of tell you a little bit about how I see it manifest here in my office, right? Yeah. So I get patients in all kinds of paths and journeys to conception, especially, right? I would say 80 to even 90% of my patients on a daily basis are somewhere in the path of trying to conceive or have some kind of reproductive issue that's about them. And so fertility wise, I see often a patient will walk in, new patient walks in, Adrian, I've done three rounds of IVF none have been successful. And generally speaking, I feel like there is a strong blockage disconnect in the heart and kidneys almost every single time, almost every single time, because by then three or more IVF cycles in, especially unfortunately the way sometimes women are treated in Western medicine, Mm -hmm. they are not allowed to feel it all. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they start being really obsessed with numbers of FSH, my estrogen, this, and my estrogen, that, and what's going on with my lining and why is my lining not thickening? And why is my FSH going up and up and up and up? And I feel like if women could just make a little bit of space for some grief. And I'm talking like a little bit. I'm not even talking like uh, this huge and then you have to like wallow or that's not what I'm saying. However, I will say, generally speaking, um, women are not given permission to grieve mm-hmm. that they're having a hard time mm-hmm. in the medical system conceiving or getting rid of pelvic pain or being able to ovulate on a regular basis. And um what happens is that the spirit unfortunately gets very um, stagnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, it, it gets, it gets depressed, right? It gets depressed. Yeah. And so added to that, okay. Another layer of East Asian medicine, 
the heart houses the Shen. The Shen is our consciousness. It's our mental function. It's our vitality. So for me, I think it's totally fair that some women after three plus IVF rounds, that Shen is going to be a little depleted. There's going to be some lack of vitality. There's going to be, you know, some disassociation going on when she's Mm going to be going for her vaginal uter um, ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, medical trauma is a a real thing. I have, had endometrial cancer and went through IVF myself. And so I can very viscerally identify with what you're saying. And it's almost like in Western medicine, it's always like about what's next, like what's the next thing to try? What's the next solution? Very little time for you to kind of like process the fact that, you know, this entire situation is in many ways unfair. Yes. Um, kind of not allowed to say that on the solution. Um, but that really negates like the emotional impact of all this stuff. And what you end up doing is disconnecting from your emotions, especially by the time you get to IVF, you're just kind of like, I don't know, at least for me, I was very numb. I just wasn't really feeling the process because I had kind of, you know, disassociated, like you said, it's a lot it's to, a lot. to go through. Yeah. The time that I did go through IVF that was successful, I was doing acupuncture. I was doing a lot of this grief work. I was doing a lot of like visualization work. And also I had reached a point where I had grieved it enough that I had gotten to that like acceptance stage, which is Mm -hmm. such a real thing that it was kind of like, I realized that I could have a full and happy life, even if Mm -hmm. it didn't work out. Right. That's a hard place to get to, but yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. And uh, I mean, would you would you call that word? People say it all the time in the wellness world, the surrender. Oh you God, say- yes. But yes, though. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I don't. Yes. I I try to stay away from you know being too hokey, I guess. Like, but I do believe in all that stuff. Like, I'm very woo wooey. I'm very into you know astrology and manifestation and all these things. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that you and I both started our very, what I would say are important healing works right around our Saturn return. Yes. That's, I was, you know, coming into our power. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I was 27 when I started grad school. Uh-huh. I was like 20, yeah, 25, 26 or something. So about the same. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I'm totally into all that, but I agree that it was a process of letting go of control somewhat and just kind of letting myself have the experience that I was going to have. So, okay. So, um, that takes a lot of work, Amber. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't fun. <laughs> um, I'm still, I mean, honestly, like, I don't want to make it sound like I have all my shit together. Cause I'm like still working through a lot of, especially a lot of the medical trauma oh, that yeah. I have, mm-hmm. like from all the biopsies and the pain and things mm-hmm. that you have to kind of disassociate from. So I'm still working through all that. We're on a, this, it's a, called a healing journey for a reason, but, <laughs> um, 
I find what you're saying about this so interesting. I love that Chinese medicine kind of has like a, or East Asian medicine, I should say, has a mechanism for connecting emotions with physical symptoms, which we just don't have in Western medicine. I mean, if you you no. combine like the spirituality piece right. and like trauma work with like, Western medicine. Sure. Like you can get there. And that's, I think where a lot of people are coming to now, but yes, I mean, this pathway has had it for what? Thousands of years, thousands, (laughs) at least 3000 years. Take like, we, we could stand to take a few, uh, you know, a little advice or a little, you know, be a little less. I just think the Western medical system is so obsessed with itself like so very, um, you know, sorry, science. I shouldn't laugh, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Western medicine, uh, you know, it just think it's the only way it does. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it's not that old effective. <laughs> well, or here's that the thing. Old, yeah. Can I, well, that too, it's not let's just, you know, let's not say old. How about it's not that wise. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a better way to say it, right? It's not that wise. Like I tell people and they walk in, they're like, I have horrible periods. Mm -hmm. I have to go to the ER six times a year. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) what's happening? You're not being supported. Nothing, something's not nourishing you. Right. And so it's like, well, if that's not working, then where's the wisdom coming in with Western medicine. And I tell people, I'm like, seriously, East, East Asian medicine has had gynecological books have been treating this for like thousands of years and like, does it really well and does it really effectively? And, you know, um, is it intense? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's not invasive Mm -hmm. and almost barbaric in Mm -hmm. some ways that Western medicine can be. And Western mm-hmm. medicine, when does it shine? In acute situations, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Absolutely. However, with chronic, I feel like there's other medicines that really shine and really help heal, you know, the actual root of it. Yeah. That's specifically why I, I had thoughts of going to medical school and becoming a, a doctor because yeah. I, I think, you know, I'm, I would be capable of doing that if I Absolutely. wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I chose to go into nutrition because I really feel like nutrition is one of the futures of medicine. Because when we talk about chronic illness, like you said, Western medicine does a terrible job of dealing with chronic illness. Terrible. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that like the United States is one of the most advanced countries in the world. And yet we have some of the poorest health outcomes in the world. And when you look at the differences, and in particularly us, for gynecology stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like so many people come to me and they have just gone through the like loop for years with no answers. And basically the only kind of solutions are, um, well, if you want to call them solutions, put somebody on hormonal birth control. Well, don't even that's kind that. of it. Yeah. Or give no. them, a, or if they have endometriosis, give them a hysterectomy, you know, or tell them to get, to, cut to get pregnant. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was told that like, come back when you want to get pregnant, stay on birth control. 
So, you know, and, and to be fair, and I've mentioned this before, like, I don't, (laughs) I'm not advocating for you to completely ignore, you know, when, when there's a problem, like you said, in acute problems, like when I had cancer, for example, absolutely. Western medicine, I was very glad it existed. Right. Um, but I do wish that I could go back in time with what I know now and kind of have started working on this stuff when I was younger, when I was in a mm-hmm. more healthy place and when I could have had more power and control over the situation. So that's kind of my aim with, with other people. I feel like the kind of work that you do and that I do are really great prevent. It's really great preventative work, but it's also really great at like rebalancing something that's already you know, out of balance. Definitely. Because usually those, usually those signs are there five, even 10 years before. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a lot of, I work a lot with autoimmunity as well. And, mm-hmm. and people will come to me and they're like, I don't have a specific autoimmune condition. Like I haven't been diagnosed with something, but my mm-hmm. antibodies are high and they don't yeah. know why, Yeah, you know? Oh yeah. And I'm those like, well, give it, <laughs> yeah, give it five years, you know? they'll be RA or whatever. So, um, I, those are the people that I really admire who take their health into their own hands and say, I know something's not right. I don't feel good. And this is not giving me the solutions that I need. So I'm going to go seek alternatives. Um, like that takes a lot of, um, what's the word? A lot of like, gumption. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like it, well, yeah, it, it takes, takes a lot of confidence. Yeah. Confidence and willpower to be like, yeah. Yeah. I know that there has to be an answer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I was told so many things that were just flat out wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm also talking about even like, even some like alternative. Um, oh yeah. That Same. We're just unfortunately not correct. And I was like, wow. And that, that's the really hard part. I think I've talked about this before with my cancer journey, where I really pendulum swung completely in the other direction and went off on these like really crazy rabbit trails of like taking supplements. I didn't know what they did that I read a blog about like, and I got myself, I mean, that's part of the reason I got myself into the situation that I did was because I started exploring alternative medicine Mm -hmm. without really having a guide through that process who was trained. Yes, absolutely. And I usually, you know, when someone's looking for um, whatever it is, it's like autoimmune issue help or reproductive health or whatever, um, maybe it's an old injury. You know, I usually encourage people look at the reviews and look for someone that really specializes in those issues. Um, like I think there's me, Scott, and another practitioner, and we're the only board certified reproductive acupuncturist in the city. San Antonio. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, if you're really seeking reproductive care in an alternative way with acupuncture, I usually encourage people to have, you know, search for someone that really knows or has that experience where they they dedicated a lot of energy to, you know, being able to really help you in your path. I think it's the difference between like, as an example, my work, there are a lot of nutritionists, um, who will talk vaguely about PCOS, right. They'll mm-hmm. kind of discuss like maybe the insulin connection. Cause that's pretty well known, but sure. not really know 
how to go deeper into that, into like more of the root of where that insulin issue is coming from or the chronic inflammatory piece or the adrenal connection. Like, Mm. and for some people just addressing insulin resistance is enough, but for most people it's not. So, um, yeah, specialization. I mean, that's what, when you specialize, like that's because you're passionate about that, that issue. Like you, it's interesting to you. You do a lot of research on it and stuff. So, um, I absolutely agree with you. So let's talk about with the heart uterus connection, like what are some ways that we can improve that connection? Like, is there anything that you can tell people that they can, um, do to kind of help Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. So I am not here to tell somebody to like not disassociate while they're at the doctor. Like, I feel like you have to basically survive. (laughs) Yeah. You know, your appointments, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying not to do any of that. What I'm saying is to maybe incorporate more mindfulness Mm -hmm. along your path of healing. Mm -hmm. I'm also, you know, um, encouraging people to meditate. <laughs> However that looks for you is meditation. You being, and when I say meditation, it can, we can also like call it being present. Okay? Mm-hmm. So does that look like maybe, you know, tending to your garden and being very present and intentional when you're watering your garden? Can that also look like putting on headphones and listening to meditation? Absolutely. Does it have to be like a whole like hour every day? That's not what I'm saying. No, not necessarily. But I would also encourage, especially I think in Western culture, generally speaking, maybe not all Westerners, but generally speaking, maybe not after or not. I feel like we've talked a lot about grief in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone knows what that is now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is good, which I think is a good conversation to have. I think it's just the beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. think also giving yourself permission to grieve. Mm-hmm. And I tell my patients that, like in that window after they have transferred, and they between transferring, you know, that embryo to testing for pregnancy. How are you going to, you know, create space for all the feelings? And so sometimes what I tell my patients, oftentimes they say, whatever comes up, comes up and give yourself permission to do that. If you need to cry, you can cry and give yourself permission to cry. You know, there's a difference between wallowing and maybe giving yourself permission to, you know, 
set a timer on your phone and be like, I am going to cry. I'm going to feel really shitty for 20 minutes because this is a crappy situation mm-hmm. <laughs> that I have to wait. <laughs> yeah. I spent thousands of dollars. <laughs> I've gone to my acupuncturist. I don't know right. how many times I'm taking all the supplements. I've done all the injections. I have another injection tonight. And so, and giving yourself permission to feel that. So being yeah. mindful and holding space for yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think that's so, so important. Like the meditation piece as well. Um, a lot of my clients will tell me like, I don't like to meditate or I'm not good at meditating or I can't, I can't like sit still long enough. And I'm like, well, you are one of the people that needs meditation <laughs> because that's the entire point is to teach you stillness. Um, so that, you know, because that's when, that's when intuition comes to you. That's when, um, when things that you've been pushing down come to you to be processed and you have to process things to release them. Um, you can't like ignore them. So, uh, we can't toxic positivity our way into (laughs) better fertility. You can't be like, I am fertile. I am fertile. I mean, yeah, like some of that can help, but you've got also got to process your grief over the situation. Um, with the time we have left, I really want to give my PCOS listeners a little kind of of tidbit about how, like, how do you approach PCOS? Like what, what is the, the thinking there? Okay. So acupuncture is fantastic in like so many ways. And so one of the ways that it's really, really helpful for PCOS is it's really helpful because it increases blood flow and circulation to our reproductive organs, right? So there's so many studies you can like Google with PCOS and acupuncture and PCOS and acupuncture increasing circulation. Um, so in that way, in increasing circulation, um, we're able to help support ovulation, like more regular ovulation, you know. Uh, one patient in particular I can think of right now that we're sharing, you know, um, it's something that she's really struggled with and, uh, you know, for it to be more regular. And so uh, acupuncture is really good in like, oh, this is, we're building up the lining right now. Oh, okay. Well, it's time to ovulate. It's, hot, it's time to have that LH surge. And as we both know, and people that have PCOS, you know, they have that sometimes they really lack that, um, LH surge, right? Because uh, it's already kind of higher, right? Mm-hmm. So acupuncture really helps in regulating that because it increases that blood flow. It also helps our other organ systems in East Asian medicine to stay regulated inadvertently, you know, keeping cortisol low, which is like all of our patients, right? Mm-hmm. Clients, whatever we call them, right? <laughs> you know, they come to us because they're really anxious, they're really stressed and trying to find solutions. So naturally the cortisol, their adrenal health isn't going to be ideal, right? So acupuncture is really good that every time you come in, I'm like, your cortisol is going to be like amazing for like the next 48 hours <laughs> and hopefully longer, right? Right. Studies have shown that, you know, over time, acupuncture helps to, you know, regulate those cortisol and those adrenal um fluctuations. So that's really, really helpful. Um, so is that helpful? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the adrenal PCOS connection is like really not talked about enough. Mm -hmm. It does not get enough play. And I think that's because when you look at, um, like if you Google adrenal PCOS connection, for example, what you'll read is that about 20 to 30% of those with PCOS deal with adrenal issues. And what they're, what they're looking at for that statistic is the DHEA sulfate mm-hmm. levels. Okay. But they're not actually looking at cortisol rhythm issues. When they look at that, they're just right. looking at that high DHEAS. By the time somebody gets high DHEAS, there's been some cortisol stuff going on for a while. And in my experience, I, I don't know actually that I have met somebody with PCOS that didn't have some sort of cortisol imbalance. So yeah. many of us are stressed, anxious, have trouble falling asleep. Um, my, the way it manifests my heart pounding, like I had really high cortisol in the morning. So cortisol awakening response problems, you know, all those, all that stuff, those are, those are adrenal issues too, but they're not counted in that 20 to 30% statistic. So I actually think it's higher. We know, yeah, it's higher. And we know that with high cortisol, for example, like it can increase it can make insulin resistance worse because it can make you produce, um, you know, pull blood sugar out of your, um, muscles. Uh, it can make you more, uh, it can cause an increase in testosterone production, even outside of insulin resistance. So it causes its own issues. And I really think that like cortisol issues are kind of like one of the really big roots of, of PCOS problems because the personality type of a lot of the clients I work with, you know, maybe slightly so type A. Know. Uh-huh. Know. <laughs> um, so, so there's something there and I, it'll be fun to, to watch that play out in the, uh, you know, the Western kind of research wheel with time. I'm sure we will get there eventually, Yes. but like you said, not a very wise system yet. So it doesn't have that ability to look at the past and kind of make connections. Right. Compartmentalizes, unfortunately. Right. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, no. And so again, East Asian medicine, because we're able to help with those cortisol fluctuations, right. Then progesterone can rise when it needs to rise. Exactly. And you right. sure do need a lot of progesterone to conceive and to stay mm-hmm. pregnant. Yes, yeah, sure do. Yep. <laughs> Very important. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. No, I think I really think that acupuncture should be a part of anyone who's who bare minimum, if you're trying to conceive or having fertility issues, like you need to be seeing an acupuncturist regularly, but even, even if that's not where you are at yet, but you do have some hormonal imbalance, Mm -hmm. like it's really, really helpful And even if, you know, the only way that you feel that is with like stress reduction, like that's really beneficial too. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, can't, can't recommend it enough. I think I can add that. Oh, one thing that I feel like everyone comes in with is everyone's really, people are really concerned about their egg follicle health quality. Right. Yes. So acupuncture is really supportive in that. So, you know, you know, British Medical Journal has had plenty of research. You can just Google it. Even there's lots of research supporting that 
basically acupuncture, regular acupuncture for 10 to 12 sessions is basically the magic number, which is about three months. Mm -hmm. Your egg quality actually, you know, quote unquote, becomes younger. And Mm -hmm. so that's really helpful. And you get to take a nap and feel better. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's so, it's so easy. Like you don't have to do anything. Like your acupuncturist does it all and you just get to lay there and enjoy the process. And it doesn't hurt for those of you who've never done it before and are worried because no. it looks painful, but it doesn't hurt at all. No, it really doesn't. Um, and I feel like, yeah. 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 And that I, I always find that interesting too, because like we have similar data for nutrition for like the folliculogenesis cycle. It's, we always talk about it ideally six months before you want to sure. have that pregnancy, but like three to four months um, it's kind of like the real critical time. And if you change your diet and you, you make it more nutrient dense and all that, like you will see changes in your egg quality at that point too. So I find it fascinating that there are many different ways that we can manipulate how our ovaries are functioning. And, you know, some of it can be food-based. Some of it can be acupuncture. Like if you do both at the same time. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I encourage that for sure. For yeah. sure. I mean, I, I definitely believe food is medicine. Um, if you follow my stories on Saturday mornings, you know that I know that food is medicine. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you can do both, for sure. I, you practice what you preach. What's going on there? Oh, yes. We were talking about guasha and how it's been so like trendy, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially, um, I guess, just the last couple of years. And so basically um, during what was it? I don't know. About a year and a half ago, I picked up my gua sha stone um, because I had just really intense jobbing <laughs> from pandemic life, mom life. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I was clenching like I was in grad school again, studying. Mm-hmm. It was intense, and so I got really into it. And then I basically got into it with the rest of my face because I am turning forty-two this year, and so. Um, I've been doing it basically for skincare reasons, not just, you know, um, muscle tightness reasons, which is the same. It's all connected anyway. So gasha is basically, um, uh, it translates to scraping, right? Um, in, East, in Chinese medicine. And so a lot of East Asian medicine, a lot of Eastern um, countries use it and have passed down to it to their... Um, you know, like aunties and grandmothers pass it down um, to their daughters and granddaughters. And so now, of course, Western civilization has now caught up. With it. And <laughs> so now it is very hip. And so that's something that I um, I sell gua sha stone boards. And I've been teaching some of my um, facial acupuncture patients about it. And I'm hoping to have a class um, in May. Oh, yeah. So that... I may have to attend that because I bought a jade stone because of the, you know, the, I had never heard of it before. So, you know, the trendy stuff, a little annoying sometimes, but on the bright side brings people into something that could be really valuable to them that they'd never heard of before. I'd never heard of it. So I bought a jade stone. I was doing it for a little while, but I just don't feel like I like really knew what I was doing or how to do it right. right. Um, you know, learning it off of TikTok is probably not ideal. Uh, so if you're teaching like a professional class on it, that sounds really, really interesting. So will it be in person? Will it be online or a hybrid? Do you know? I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing it on Zoom. Um, I have cool. a couple. Yeah, that's what I'm planning on doing. 
Okay. Awesome. So then anyone who's listening, um, when I, we're recording this in April. So when I, uh, when you like set more details on and everything, I'll include them in the um, show notes to the episode. So if you want to sign up for that, um, it'll be included. And um, yeah, I think that's all that I have uh, today, but it was really wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Likewise. Thank you for having me. It was, it was really fun. It felt like we were just like, hanging out. I know. Well, it's always fun to, to hang out with you and talk to you. So, um, I'm going to stop recording now. Bye everyone. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.